0: Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Dirksen, the Executive Pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit mysouthland.com. Last week, I, I started a series called Beginnings, and, uh, and we're gonna go through Genesis chapters one and two because Genesis chapters one and two are the foundation for the whole Bible. That's, there's a reason they're first in the Bible. And uh, everything else, I'm not saying these are the most important things in the Bible, but they're the foundation for everything else. Without Genesis 1 and 2, we don't have redemption and salvation and Jesus Christ as the Son of God and resurrection and eternal life and all those sorts of things. It's all built on this truth that there is a God out there. We know his name now, Jesus, who created everything that exists. And so in the first two chapters of Genesis, we get this uh great foundation for not just creation but in fact a number of other things uh sexuality and gender and marriage and the fall we got all kinds of things which then the rest of the bible builds on and a whole bunch of big worldview truths that are so important for life and for culture and so i'm going to be tackling a number of those things and some really fun topics In the next few weeks. But none of the topics has scared me as much as the one I'm taking on this weekend. And uh, this weekend, uh, or this week and today in this message, I'm gonna tackle uh, the age of the earth, the days of creation, and did dinosaurs exist or not? (laughs) And uh, I have so far survived two services without being shot. And so I think if I get through this one and the next one, that God has a long life in store for me. But I'm going to read to you uh, from Genesis 1. And I'm, I, I, if, if, just because of time's sake, with everything that we've been doing up on stage here, I can't read to you the whole chapter. I, normally I like in these messages to just open my Bible and just read to you the passage. I'm just going to read out of my notes and just kind of skim through a few things to give you an introduction, and then we'll look at this. All right, are you with me? All right, let's do this. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1. This is what we covered last week. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Verse 6, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And so you can see this pattern this famous pattern of genesis chapter 1 and god said let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear and it was so and god said let the earth sprout vegetation plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed each according to its kind on the earth and it was so and there was evening and there was morning the third day now i'm just going to skip ahead Uh, This same pattern, and there was evening, and there was morning, and it was so, and God saw that it was good. This pattern over and over and over again through six days of creation. And then finally at the beginning of chapter 2, we get day 7. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished His work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Now, I know we've prayed a bunch already, but we haven't prayed for the message. So I'm going to just pray that our heart's going to be open and that we can receive what God has for us today. Lord Jesus, I thank you for Genesis chapter 1. Lord, I just pray that you would give us a, a, a spirit truth today, that we would be built up and encouraged to love each other more and to be more confident in your word and to understand what it says at an even better level. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, so the days of creation. Well, it's a famous chapter, first chapter of the Bible, and, and uh, as we all know, or most of us would know anyway, uh, God's creative acts in Genesis chapter 1 are divided up into six days, and then, of course, with the seventh day as he rested. And so, just a quick glance, a quick read-through through the chapter uh, would make it seem like it's pretty obvious what's going on here. Uh, how could Christians even argue about what's going on here? It just looks obvious. God obviously created the the universe in a week, in in seven days, 24-hour days. He did this on day one, 24-hour day. He did this on day two, a 24-hour day. He did this on day three, on a 24-hour day, and on and on and on. It seems like it would be straightforward, and that Christians wouldn't disagree about that, but you would be wrong. Uh, Although Genesis 1 seems straightforward, there are many different views, and I will not take the time to list all of them, but there are many different views that Uh, godly people have about how to read Genesis chapter 1, okay? And if this was a university course, if I had three or four hours, I would have a blast uh, going through them all. But I don't have that much time. And so I'm going to oversimplify things as I'm sometimes forced to do in these messages. And I'm going to shrink all those different views down to kind of two basic ones, okay? Two basic uh, ways that Christians read Genesis chapter 1. And the one way that many Christians read, and that uh, no doubt many of you, I know lots of people, I have friends in this church, uh, would view it, is what I'll just call for the purpose of this message, the young earth view. And in the young earth view, these are Christians who read Genesis chapter 1, and they say it's just obvious what it says. There was evening and there was morning the first day. These were 24-hour days. God created the universe in a week. Therefore, the universe is very young. It's somewhere between, you know, relatively speaking, if any of you is 6,000 to 10,000 years old, you would not be very young. But it's called Young Earth because they believe the universe is somewhere between 6,000 and 10,000 years old, okay? So that is one group of Christians and how they read Genesis 1. But there's another group, and as I said before, there's actually many more nuances and different views in this, but I'm boiling it down to kind of two basic ones. There's a whole other group of Christians, Uh, who read Genesis chapter 1, and they see in Genesis chapter 1, not 24-hour periods, but longer spans of time, and they don't believe that Genesis uh, means to teach 24-hour days, and so as a result of that, they believe that the Bible allows for some unspecified amount of time for creation, therefore they are totally okay with the earth and the universe being millions or billions of years old, okay? Okay? Now, uh, so that's different views. And again, I could show you other ones, but we'll just oversimplify a little bit and we'll have two basic views here. It makes it easier uh, in the message, okay? Now, a problem uh, in all of this is, is, you know, both sides have some issues with the other side. And I don't say that as a bad thing. Uh, Any Christian side in any uh, debate always has issues because all Christians have issues. So one issue on the young earth side, some young earth creationists, not all, but some young earth creationists look at old earth creationists and say they are heretics, basically, you know, especially some of the strident experts online, that basically they are theological liberals. If they believe in old earth, they don't take the Bible seriously and all this sort of stuff. So some young earthers look at old earthers like that. On the other side, some old earth creationists look at young earth creationists and basically look down their noses at them and say, they're ignorant of science, they're ignorant about Bible interpretation, they're sort of like the equivalent of theological, you know, backwoods hicks. So both sides, one side looks at the other and says, you're just compromisers, you're lib- theological liberals, and the other side looks at the other one and says, you're just ignorant. And so in this message, I want to, I over the course of this message, I want a couple of questions to be answered. And the first one is, what do you have to believe about the age of the earth and creation in order to be true to the Bible? Do you have to believe it's literal 24-hour days? Or uh, are there other things that are true to the Bible that you can believe? And then the second thing I want to look at is, is it possible for young earthers and old earthers to thrive together in a church? Well, let's see. Well, let's work our way through this. Are you with me? By the way in the second half of this message i'm really looking forward to the second half of this message because once the foundation is set we are going to have some fun in the book of genesis i promise you that but let's start with a little history all right Uh, a a number of christians think on this question of the age of the universe a number of christians today are under the impression that modern science this would be the view of many young earth uh, creationists that modern science has deceived a lot of the old earth creationists and has made them think this way, and this isn't something that has been debated throughout history, but the fact of the matter is, how to interpret Genesis chapter 1 has been a debate in the church through all of church history, going back to the very beginning. This is not a new debate because modern science is deceiving people. This debate is as old as the church, just about. And so I'm going to show you just a few of the early church fathers, some of the most respected church fathers in history, who did not read Genesis chapter 1 as being literal 24-hour days. The first one is Justin Martyr, okay, and his last name kind of, you don't want to name your kid with that last name, okay? I mean, not that you can really help when the last name is Martyr, but he was Martyr for his faith. He loved Jesus. He was a Christian apologist. He was born in 100 AD. He was in the second century, and his, his life calling was to defend the faith. His big thing was to defend the Bible and defend the faith, and he believed that the 24-hour days in Genesis 1 were not, or not, the days in Genesis 21 were not 24-hour periods, but long, long periods of centuries, epochs. And so he believed that, that, create, that the earth was much older than six or 10,000 years old because it took, that God spent a long time creating the earth. That was Justin Martyr. Now, he's a man who loved Jesus and gave his life for Jesus and defended the faith. Not a heretic, certainly not a heretic. Uh, right after him there is Irenaeus. Uh, born about 30 years after Justin Martyr, around 130 A.D. He wrote a famous uh, book in the early church called Against Heresies. His big thing was to combat heresy in the church. Not a heretic, loved Jesus. Key father in the early church. Also believed that the days of Genesis chapter 1 were not literal 24-hour periods, but were long, just like Justin Martyr, were long spans of time in which God was creating, okay? And then, and I could list more here, Clement of Alexandria, uh, Origen, and Augustine, who is one of the most famous of the early church uh, fathers from the 4th century, uh, one of the, you know, the big thinkers, uh, you know, in Christian history, and he also believed that the 24, or that the days of Genesis chapter 1 were not literal 24-hour days. Now, in Augustine's case, he believed that God created everything in an instant, Okay, so my point here is not that he was defending old earth as some of the other guys were. My point is, though, that he, he, he looked at it and said these aren't supposed to be taken literally. Now, of course, on the other side, I can list you a bunch of church fathers who also believe they were literal 24-hour days. My point here is not to prove one side or the other wrong. My point is to say this is not a new debate, and it's also not a heretic debate. This has been going on since the beginning of the church between godly people who believe the Bible, stand for the Bible, are defender, defenders of the Bible and of the Christian faith, and some even of whom have given their lives to the Christian faith, and they disagreed about whether Genesis 1 was literal 24-hour days or, or different spans of time, okay? So that's my first point. Now, of course, our standard of truth is not history, but the Bible. So the question is, Does the Bible clearly teach that the earth is young and the days of creation are literal 24-hour days? Well, again, at first glance to our modern eyes, it seems to. And we'll just read a couple of verses again. And we uh, start with verse 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Sure seems evening, morning, day, like a 24-hour day. Verse 11, we'll look at day 2 here as well. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding uh, seed, Uh, not day two, by the way, I just skipped ahead of day three, sorry. Uh, Each according to its kind on the earth, and it was so, and God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And this is the same pattern uh, for all six days. So when we just read through it with our modern eyes, it just looks like, well, duh, Moses is meaning to tell us uh, that it was literal 24-hour days. Like the sun came up and went down, and 24-hour days were over. But there's more going on here, then meets the eye the first thing I want you to notice is in day 1 and day 2 and day 3 it talks about uh, there was evening and there was morning the first day there was evening and morning the second day there was evening and morning the third day but guess what wasn't created yet until day 4 the Sun and the moon I'll show you day 4 okay day four says this and God said let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night it's the Sun and the moon and God made the two great lights right Um, the greater light, the sun, to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. So the first thing I want you to notice is, there is no sun or moon. If you just... Take Genesis at face value, there's not even a sun or moon on days one or two or three, which right away just creates how is there evening and morning? I just want you to see here, right off the bat, that things are not as cut and dried as as people sometimes think. There's a reason why people like Justin Martyr and Augustine, different thinkers, thought the way they did. Now, I'm not saying that makes everybody else wrong, but I'm saying there's a reason why great Christian thinkers have looked at this and said, I don't think it's talking about literal 24-hour days, because how could there be an evening and morning without a sun and a moon, okay? So that's, that's the first thing. But there's a second thing I want to show you here too, and I want you to notice the Hebrew word uh, that's translated day. The Hebrew word translated day throughout the uh, six days of creation is the Hebrew word uh, yom, okay? Now, yom is an interesting word in Hebrew. Uh, It means day, but just like our English word day, it can mean many, many different things. Okay? Just like in English. So in English, our word day can mean a 24-hour period, one day. It can also mean something less than 24 hours, as in day, when the sun is out, daylight versus night, right? Or it can also mean some unspecified amount, a large amount of time. As in, when your grandfather sits back in his rocking chair and says, back in my day, I used to walk to school uphill both ways, right? Or he would say, back in my day, a chocolate bar was a nickel. I filled my gas tank for a dollar and all those sorts of things, right? Back in my day. Now, when he says, back in my day... He's not talking about a 24-hour period. He's talking about a much longer, unspecified amount of time, uh, uh, kind of like a generation. Back in the generation when people my age were growing up, this is how things were. So even in the English language, it can mean many different things. Now, the same is true for the Hebrew word yom. It means a number of different things throughout the Old Testament. And I counted at least 15 or 20. I'll just give you uh, one example. Uh, One example would be uh, 1 Kings chapter 11 verse 42 and it says in the time that solomon reigned in jerusalem over all israel was 40 years and the word there time is the same word day it's yom the same exact word as all of the days in genesis chapter 1 and 2. yom and in this case it means 40 years i could show you examples like isaiah 30 verse 8 and others like that where the word yom is used to mean a, a, a an unending amount of time eternity so it can mean a very long period of time and this is why many christians have looked now some of you might look at this and say well are you saying now that young earthers are wrong no that's not what i'm saying here's what i'm saying young earthers are legitimate in their scriptural interpretation it is a legitimate interpretation of scripture to read it and say these have got to be 24-hour days but it is equally legitimate For an old earth creationist to look at the Bible and be true to the Bible, he's not twisting the Bible, he's not manipulating the Bible, and look at it and say, this does not have to be 24-hour days, it could be a very lengthy amount of time, and the universe could be much older than that. The fact of the matter is, Christians can disagree about the timing and both be where neither one is saying to the other one, you're a heretic, you're compromising the Bible. It's possible for Christians to disagree about something and both of them be trying to be faithful to the Word. This happens in all kinds of debates. Is that not true? I mean, Calvinism, Arminianism, that one's been going on for centuries. Calvinists have one set of passages and they say, uh, human beings do not have the ability to say yes to Jesus. It's got to be predestined. And I'm really oversimplifying there. But they have, a, they have a bunch of passages that they use to say that. And then Arminians look at those passages and they interpret them differently. But both sides, you know, in every case where Calvinist Arminians are loving Jesus, they're going to be in heaven, we're going to be in heaven together. Amen? Amen. So it's not like one side is heretic, one side is not heretic. It's the same here. You can be, you can biblically legitimately interpret Genesis 1 as young earth. You can biblically legitimately uh, interpret it old earth, okay? But now I want to show you now, I know that doesn't mean you guys like this message, because it's like, nobody wants to be left with, what do I believe? Just tell me what to believe. Some of you are already convinced what you believe, and you're sitting there looking at me very suspiciously, you better not tread on my toes. (laughs) And some of you are just like, I don't know what to believe, just tell me what to believe. I will hopefully help some of you yet in this message, but I first want to show you a possibility that that brings some of these things together. What is happening with the 24, or not the 24-hour days, what's happening with the days, and what's happening, you know, with, is it long, okay? And so if we go back to Genesis 1-1, I want to show you something here. In Genesis 1-1, it says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I want to ask you some questions. The rest of this message, I'm going to ask you some questions, and most of you will fail these miserably. If I had a quiz, these are questions that as Christians, we usually fail really miserably, and that's what I love about it. So the question is, on what day did God create the heavens and the earth? On what day? What did God create on day one? Well, most of us would just assume he had to have created the heavens and the earth on day one because how else could he have created everything else? Well, let's just read chapter one and see what chapter one tells us was created on day one. Shall we do that? Okay? So we read, in the beginning. Now, that doesn't tell us what day it is on. It just says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So that's verse 2, still hasn't told us what day we're on. Verse 3, and God said, now pay attention to and God said. That's a formula, it's a formulaic statement that is going to follow throughout all of Genesis chapter 1. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. So here's what I want to, first of all, here's what we know for sure. Light was created on day one. Light was created on day one. Now, we all assume, well, obviously, the earth and the universe also got created on day one, because how could everything else be, have been created? But I just want you to know, notice The text, and I'm going to show you the formula in just a moment. The text, the formula is, well, let me show you the formula first. The formula in Genesis 1 is, every day starts with, and God said, and ends with, and there was evening, and there was morning, the whatever day. That's how every day starts and finishes in Genesis 1, okay? I'll just show you a couple more. Here's day two, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. Notice how every day starts with, and God said. And God said, day three, I'll show you just one more example, but it's true for all six. And God said, let the waters into the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. But now I want to go back to Genesis 1 verse 1. And I want you to notice that Genesis 1 verse 1 does not start with, and God said. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, in the beginning. Now. This does not mean for sure that he didn't create the heavens and the earth on day one. But I want you to notice that in the beginning comes before the formula starts. Do you see that? So if you want to put the heavens and the earth on day one, you can do that. But just realize the text does not explicitly say you have to do that. That is an assumption. And it is every bit as valid an assumption to say God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning before the six days of creation began. See, every bit is valid, especially when you bring in the Hebrew. Especially when you bring in the Hebrew. See, I want to show you something here uh, with the Hebrew. When you go in verse 1, in the beginning, God created. That verb there, created in the Hebrew, is in what's called the perfect tense. Now, here's a th- habit the Hebrews had when they would write out a story. When they would write out a story, they would do something that we often do in our stories as well, is they would write a little prologue. Do, do you all know what a prologue is I didn't think so okay a prologue is at the beginning of a story it gives you a little bit of information things that happen before the storyline starts you know what I'm talking about now so the Hebrews would often in their stories they would write out a little prologue they would give you a little bit of information things that happened before the storyline begins and when they would do that They would use, now this is not stuff I'm making up. This is stuff, and if you want to read books on this, you can. You email me again. Lots of you emailed me last week for book recommendations. I got some great books on some of this stuff. But uh, what experts say is they would use the perfect tense of the verb to show you that they're telling you something. It's information. This happened before, and then now the storyline begins. In which case, verses 1 and 2, what Moses is meaning to say here in this passage is, in the beginning, God created everything, and now, after that, he said, now let me give you a storyline what happened after that, and he gives you six days of creation. Now again, I'm not saying you have to believe that. It is biblically legitimate to say, no, 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 that all happened on day one, but I want you to realize that's an assumption, because it, in the formula, Moses does not write that into day one. You can, you, can, you can interpret it that way, it's biblically sound, but it's an assumption, and recognize that what you're doing is making an assumption. That's really, really important. And so we can look at this, and we can read it very different ways. Now, in the case that God made the heavens and the earth before day one, in that case, the earth and the universe could be billions of years old, and that is no trouble at all, and you could still hold to 24-hour days after that if you want. Okay? Okay. My point now, again, I'm going to get to some fun stuff in just a moment, but my point is just to put a foundation here of how we view this thing. So I want to show you now four, and I could show you more, I want to show you four biblically faithful things that you can believe as a Christian and be absolutely faithful to Scripture. You can, first of all, believe that the earth and the universe are old, and that there is a long gap between in the beginning and the six days of creation. That is, in fact, what many Christian scholars and Bible-believing scientists believe today. And it's biblically legitimate. Every bit as legitimate as believing in 24 hours and young earth. Old earth, you could also be old earth, old universe, and there could be long gaps between each of the days. I won't explore that one in too much detail right now. Or you could be old earth, old universe, believing that each of the days, yom, can mean long periods of time, not just a 24-hour period. And there are other... Uh, Bible-believing scientists and Christian thinkers who believe that each of those days stands for a long epoch of time. Or you could be a young earth creationist and you could believe the earth is young. It's 6,000 to 10,000 years old and it was created in seven 24-hour days. All of those beliefs are faithful to Scripture. Now you say, why is this important? Some of you are sitting there and you're going, why is this? I don't need this. I just love Jesus, and that's good enough for me. Amen. And first of all, I just want to say to you, blessings on you. If this question doesn't bother or torment you, continue walking with Jesus. It's not necessary for your salvation. Amen. But I want to say something else, because sometimes people get all smug. I don't need that for my walk with Jesus, and let me tell you this. It might be okay for you in your life not to ask this question, but for those of us who have, are parenting young kids, and for those young adults who are in high school and who are in university, it is not something they can just ignore. Their biblical worldview is being attacked every day. They walk out into the culture, and one of the most common questions I get from parents is, what do I tell my kids about dinosaurs, about the age of the earth, about all these things? They get this all the time. So some of you have the luxury of ignoring this question, but most of us do not. And I have known too many people who have questioned their faith over this issue. I know people in this church who just about lost their faith over this issue. So, all of that to set you up for this. I want to tell you now what I believe. I'm not telling you this because you have to agree with me. I'm not telling you this because I'm trying to convince you. If you are very convinced in the way you are, blessings on you. I love it. And we can have dialogue. But there's many people here who are not convinced and feel like they're floating, and especially parents with kids. And my heart is for you, so I'll tell you what I believe, and I'll tell you what I tell my kids, and then you can do with it what you will. Are you good with that? Have you all put your guns on safety? (laughs) All right. I believe the universe is very old. I believe the best scientific... Evidence out there, I believe there's an overwhelming amount of scientific evidence that points to the universe being about 14 billion years old. I've believed this for many, many years. Ever since I was a teenager, I've been fascinated with the stars. I've been absolutely, and you see it, it comes out of my messages sometimes, and I'm going to show you another one very shortly. I've been absolutely fascinated with the stars, and I love, ever since I was a teenager, I love if you're out on a clear night to look up at the stars and just be in awe at the immensity of the God who made those stars. And it's in my love for the stars that I first came to be convinced that the universe must be very old because when you look up into the sky, you are seeing things that are very far away. For example, can I show you a picture? I'm going to show you a picture, okay? beautiful picture. This is the Andromeda galaxy, okay? Now, the Andromeda galaxy is actually our neighbor in space. We live in the Milky Way galaxy. This is the closest galaxy to us. Closest major galaxy. It's the Andromeda galaxy. It's also a huge galaxy. There are about one trillion stars. And remember how big each star is. There's about one trillion stars in that galaxy. Okay? It's huge. Now, when you look up into the night sky and you see some of those Those twinkling lights you see are, we can't tell because they're so far away, you can't tell the naked eye. Sometimes it's just a single star, and some of those stars are massive anyway, but some of those twinkling lights you see are, could be a galaxy that's way out there. So Andromeda, you could be looking up and seeing a a light, and that light isn't a single star, it's a galaxy with a trillion stars in it, It's, it's actually unbelievable. But here's something else to blow your mind, Andromeda is the closest galaxy to us. Do you know how far away it is? 2.5 million light years. Now you say, okay, what is a light year? Okay, well, here's what a light year is. A light year is just a measure of distance. So we have inches and centimeters, depending if you're metric or, or old or whatever. We have feet and we have meters. We have miles. We have kilometers, right? We have all these different measurements of distance. A light year is just a measurement of distance. It's just like a mile, except way, 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 way bigger. Okay, it's a measurement of distance, okay? It's the distance a light beam travels in one year. Now, light is a very fast thing. So the distance that a beam of light can travel in a year is a very, very huge number. It's somewhere around 6 trillion miles. Okay, but instead of saying, talking about trillions and trillions and trillions and lots of zeros and things, we just talk in terms of light years. So... The Andromeda galaxy is so far from here, it's 2.5 million light-years away. Now, I want you to think about what that means. That means that that light you are seeing in your eye left Andromeda 2.5 million years ago, and it's so far away, it's been traveling here the whole time. And now it just hit your eyeball. Don't waste it, it's come a long way, right? So I want you to think about, this is one of the things I've always loved since being a teenager, about the stars. When you look up into the night sky, have you ever realized you're actually looking back in time? When you look up into the the sky, you are not seeing things as they are. Some of the points of light you see up there might actually have been gone for thousands of years already. That light left... However long ago, and since then, that star died. But that light took so long to get here that you're only seeing it now. When you look up into the night sky, please don't ever waste another clear night, Hey, You're actually looking back in time. You're seeing back. So when you see Andromeda, you're not seeing Andromeda now. You're seeing Andromeda 2.5 million years in the past. Now, that's not junk science. That's not junk science. We know what the speed of light is. Okay? So much of our modern world is based on knowing what the speed of light is. We know what the speed of light is. That's not, that's not something that secular scientists have made up to try and, and, and you know, discredit the Bible. That's actual science. It is that fast. When you know how fast it is, and many of the other things we know about astronomy, it's not a question of, how, it is that far away, and we're seeing that light, which means, and this is what for me, and again, I'm not saying what you have to believe. I'm not saying what you have to believe to be, to be uh, biblically faithful. I'm just saying for me from the very beginning, when I started to think about stars and space, there's no way the universe can be 6,000 or 10,000 years old. Now, if you're a young earth creationist, that's fine. I'm not trying to convince you again. And there's a small group of scientists, and they're smart people. I don't look down on them. They're legitimately very intelligent people and they come up with all kinds of science to figure out ways of how this could happen and the laws of physics change or the, the speed of light and that's perfectly fine and they give good talks and you can listen to them and all sorts of stuff but the fact of the matter is there's nothing biblically wrong with looking up in the sky and seeing Andromeda and realizing this is how big our God is. He can make a universe where in order to see that galaxy you look back in time millions of years there's nothing wrong with that we don't have to dispute that science let me say something else there really were dinosaurs in the past and a bunch of parents are writing stuff down (laughs) this is probably one of the most common parenting questions I have gotten in all my years here has nothing to do with discipline how to love my kids how to get through this issue or that issue one of the most common questions is what do I talk to my kids about dinosaurs here's what you tell them there were dinosaurs there were dinosaurs we, there, there's thousands of bones. There's thousands and thousands of bones. There is T-Rexes and Brachiosaurus and Velociraptors and Stegosauruses. You know, I never cease to be amazed. Those of you who are young Earthers and you love Jurassic Park, what are you doing? <laughs> That's just a little joke. But anyway, they're not overgrown alligators. They were real animals that lived a long, 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 long time ago. And we've got Lots of bones. There's nothing in the Bible. Now, if you're young earth, then you're going to listen to a certain set of experts, and they have all kinds of explanations of how that's possible, and that is totally fine. I love you, and you are being true to the scriptures the best you know how, and that's amazing. But what I'm very cautious of is this. Why would we set our kids up to see a conflict between scripture and science where there doesn't need to be one? See, there's a radical difference between, if you are young Earth and old Earth, how you view science. And again, I'm not telling you what you have to believe, and you're going to have to end up making your own decisions. But there's a radical difference between how you raise your kids. If you are young Earth, you have to raise your children very much to suspect all of science and all scientists. You basically have to question their motives, because basically how it becomes, and I see this a lot with young earth kind of experts, especially online, is they basically think all scientists are in cahoots trying to disprove the Bible. But the fact of the matter is, yes, a lot of scientists are non-Christian, but a lot of scientists are Christian too. And there isn't some worldwide conspiracy to discredit this. For the most part, scientists are doing their best to explain the data that's there. So on the one hand, you can raise your kids in such a way that they question the motives of all of science and they dispute everything that science says, okay? or in the old earth view, you can actually accept the science. It's not you against the scientist because the Bible actually doesn't tell us how old the earth is. It just doesn't. And again, I know that we have to wrestle with this, each one of us with our kids. I, I know we have to wrestle with this, and I am not. I have no disrespect. I have close friends who are young earth. I've got no problem with young earth whatsoever. What I love is when people want to be true to this. But what I'm saying is, it radically changes the way you raise your kids. It radically changes the way you approach the world. And one of the things that I have not found helpful over the years is to see conspiracy where there isn't conspiracy. That's right. That's right. And to see things going on that, in many cases, are not going on. Now, I want to just say one other thing. This is not, some of you are going, wait wait, whoa, 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 mind blow, mind blow, mind blow. I never thought this would speak, you know say anything like this borderline heresy on from the stage right are you saying you agree with evolution absolutely not people equate dinosaurs in an old earth with evolution those are two incredibly different things evolution is a theory by the way it is a theory that is increasingly rejected by secular scientists the darwinian model of evolution is increasingly dis- disputed And rejected by secular scientists, not just Christians, on its own merits. But evolution is the theory that random mutations can change a one-celled paramecium. Random mutations plus natural selection, paramecium turns into a fish. I'm oversimplifying a little bit. Random mutations, natural selection, fish turns into a lizard. Random mutations, natural selection, lizard turns into a monkey. Random mutations natural selection. Monkey gets consciousness, incredible intelligence, a love for music and invention and engineering, and we have humans. (laughs) Not a chance. Evolution is a totally separate thing, totally separate thing, than saying, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and it sure looks like that's separate from the other six days. I really believe that the earth is very old. And I see evidence of that when I look up in the sky, and I see Stars and galaxies that are so far away, it would take their light millions of years to reach Earth. That's really important. Now, I know there's a couple of questions, and this is where we get to have fun at the end of this message with a little bit of Genesis, because I want to help you. So much of what we do when we read the Bible is we have goggles on, and then we read the Bible, and we don't read what it actually says. We read our preconceived ideas into the text. And so I want to show you a couple of those, but one of the big questions that people have right away is, If dinosaurs used to exist and the universe is old, then that means the dinosaurs all died out before the humans. But wait a minute. There wasn't death before sin, right? That's what most of us Christians, we just assume. Because isn't that what the Bible teaches? Obviously, animals didn't die before Adam and Eve ate the the fruit from the tree of of the knowledge of good and evil, right? That's what we assume. So let's actually go to Genesis 3. We'll cheat a little bit. I said this series was on Genesis 1 and 2, but we'll cheat into Genesis 3 because it's way too fascinating. And the question I want to ask you, I told you before that if I had given a quiz at the beginning of this message, most of us would fail it. My question to you is this, did Adam and Eve begin to physically die the moment they bit into the apple? Just think to yourself what the answer is. Did Adam and Eve begin to physically die the moment they bit into the apple and disobeyed God? Well, most Christians would just assume, yeah, they just, because that's what God said. The moment you bite into the apple, before that they were living forever. Now you bite into the apple, and I've even taught it this way in the past. See, this is really good for you to know, too. Your pastor makes mistakes. I'm undoing some things here this morning. But I've actually taught from the stage in years past, the laws of physics changed when Adam and Eve sinned. They bit into the apple. Before that, there was no death and decay anywhere in the universe. They bit into the apple, and oh, the laws of physics changed, and they started dying. But you know the Bible actually doesn't teach that. I'm going to show you in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3, verse 3, God says, you eat from, well, I always say it's an apple. We have no idea what kind of fruit it is, so forgive me on that. But anyway, God says, you don't eat from that tree. The moment you do, you're going to die. Of course, we know Adam and Eve do it. And now we get God talking to them after. Verse 22. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. God says he has a problem here. They've sinned, and even after they've sinned, they could keep living forever. But wait a minute. I thought the laws of physics changed, and that's death entered into their bodies when they sinned. That's not what we read. God has a problem. He says, they've sinned now, but they're still going to live forever unless I do something. So what does he have to do? Let's keep reading. Verse 23. Therefore, the Lord sent him, that's Adam and Eve, out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man... And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, here's the question. Why would God have to put an angel with a flaming sword at the tree of life? And the answer is because if he hadn't, Adam and Eve and their kids would have kept coming back to the tree of life, they would have eaten a fruit, and they would have continued to live forever in their sinful state. So sin didn't, okay, so the question is, How did sin cause Adam and Eve to sin? Did sin, or cause Adam and Eve to die? Did sin change the laws of physics so that death entered into their bodies? Or did sin cut them off from the presence of God, and because they were cut off from the presence of God, they had no access to the tree of life? And the answer, according to Scripture, is sin cut them off from the presence of God. And because of that, they had no more access to the tree of life. But nothing in physics changed does that make sense yes. Yes. now you say what on earth does that have to do with dinosaurs and animals well now we're trading a little bit now now we're talking about things that are not specifically talking about in scripture we're extrapolating a little bit from this passage but i'm doing it because i have to show you how an old earth view still agrees with scripture it's so faithful you say how is this possible well think about this if adam and eve had to eat from the tree of life in order to live forever, before the fall. And my question is, were animals all eating from the tree of life before the fall? Every day were the sharks flip-flopping out of the water, like this, over the tree of life? (laughs) Help me with the low-hanging fruit. Um. Were billions of birds and monkeys and elephants and rabbits from all the continents of the earth, converging on the tree of life every day in order to live forever. And my guess is, I don't think so. I think the tree of life was for Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve already had to eat from it before they fell in order to live forever. So I think, and again, now I'm not saying what you have to believe, and now we're talking about things. I'm just showing you how this can all come together. So we're just speculating a little bit, but I really believe there was a life and death cycle long before Adam and Eve fell. And really, it only makes sense. Can you imagine if there was no life and death cycle for bunnies? (laughs) Exactly. Oh my goodness, exactly. Do you know how many bunnies we'd have on the earth if bunnies only procreated and never died? We would have mounds of bunnies covering the entire earth. Now imagine that for every little bird and mouse and rat that God made, all procreating to their heart's content, be fruitful and multiply, and none of them ever die. I think it's clear that there was a life and death cycle among the animals before Adam and Eve fell. Adam and Eve were not part of that life and death cycle because they, as the bearers of God's image, had access to the tree of life. By the way, I think this also shows God's love. And again, I'm not saying what you have to believe. I'm going outside the Bible now just to show you how this matches up with a worldview. I think this shows us God's tremendous love for human beings because in my view, do you know where we get all of our oil today? By the way, do you know that oil is important for human life? I'm going to talk about this next week again. We'll talk a little bit about oil and natural. Because and there's, there's other stuff in Genesis what I want to talk about. But... There could not be seven... I know everybody in Canada these days hates oil and yada yada. And of course, we're all against wrecking the Earth and all that sort of stuff. But everything's is bad. Do you know, you can't have seven billion human beings on planet Earth if you don't have oil. It's the most practical, harnessable energy source the human race has ever encountered, and that's why the human race exploded. We need it for agriculture. We need it for medicine. We need it for plastics. We need it for everything. That's why there's so many people on the Earth is it's supported by oil. You know how we got oil? Dinosaurs had to die millions of years ago. Now, again, I know on the younger side, you can believe this differently. You can believe that the flood squished it all down very quickly, and there's, you'll find young Earth scientists that can tell you that. And, and there's, yeah, there would be a big difference of opinion between them and, and other science, and that's okay to believe that. Absolutely it's OK. But I really believe that God was preparing the universe and the Earth in stages for the culmination. In God's image he created them male and female and he was letting some of those animals die so that we could live now one last question I'll answer and then we'll we'll sing to Jesus again and some of you might be wondering are you how could death and decay have been part of God's good creation before the fall like I thought creation was perfect before the fall I would say Genesis 1 says creation was very good, but it wasn't perfect. See, here's the thing you have to understand. Here's another question on the quiz that most of us would fail. If I asked most of us at the beginning of this message, what was the first sin? Almost all of us would say Adam and Eve eating the apple. But that was only the first human sin. That wasn't the first sin. The Bible tells us there was a much more ancient being, a much more ancient sin. And that's why, before Adam and Eve had ever sinned, there was already a tempter in the garden. He'd already long fallen before them. The serpent, which Revelation tells us is also Satan. And so I really believe when Adam and Eve sinned, their sin impacted humanity. And humanity was separated from God. But I believe, and again, we're not talking about stuff now that I can show you in the Bible. All I know from the Bible is Satan sinned long before Adam and Eve. He's a very powerful being and i wonder i wonder if his sin death and decay in the universe are part of that and so when jesus came to to redeem mankind he was not just coming to redeem mankind he was coming to redeem the universe and the earth and the creation which means that going forward the garden of eden was amazing but the new heavens and the new earth are going to be a lot better And in fact that's the last verse i'll show you here that's what paul says first corinthians 2 verse 9 paul says this but as it is written what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined what god has prepared for those alone first of all i want you to notice what no eye has seen even adam and eve hadn't seen this adam and eve had perfect bodies our resurrection bodies are going to be better The Garden of Eden was a wonderful place, but Satan was already there. The new heavens and the new earth are going to be beyond what we can imagine. We can't even imagine. I think the life and death cycle will be over, but we can't imagine. How would a a world without decay, corruption, and death even work? We can't imagine it. It's beyond what we can imagine. But we know it's going to be a physical place. It's going to be a wonderful place, and it's going to be amazing. Well, why don't you bow your heads with me and close your eyes. I'm going to sing worship to God again one last time before we're gone. But let's lift this up to Jesus. For some of you, you are in direct disagreement with everything I've said in the last half of this message. And I love you. And I want you in this church. And we're going to have lots of fun conversations going, going uh, forward. And this church will never force you to believe a certain way. Absolutely not. You are being biblically faithful in the best way you know how. And that's what I'm trying to do as well. That's awesome. Some of you just need to go home and take an aspirin and figure out, like, whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. I got books for you if you want to email me. And some of you are just praising the Lord that I've finally seen the light to talk about this, right? But all of us together can love each other under Jesus. Amen? Amen. So I want you to bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, we all love each other. Lord, help us to come closer and closer to the truth. I don't want a single young person in this church, a single young adult, a single high school student or middle school student to ever lose their faith over this issue. Help us to stand strong with wisdom and grace and truth. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.